This is Mind the Gap, brought to you by Calgary First Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you into a deeper discussion about current issues that divide us. After the episode, go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast to continue the conversation. Now, let's step off the pulpit and into the pews. And I'm joined again with uh, Pastor Brian and Sermala Ranasinga. Thanks, guys, for, for joining. Good to be with you. Uh, t- to kick things off today, uh, so we're going to be talking about culture and, um, the, I don't know, church culture, uh, the culture that we live in. But t- to get this started, uh, maybe what cultures do you identify with? Hmm. Well, I'm a baby boomer, first of all. So I was born in, I was born in 1950. Uh, but it, it's, so it's kind of interesting. I, and I'm Canadian, so I'm part of Canadian culture. I, I don't really like being labeled and I don't like being pigeonholed. So I'm a baby boomer, but there are other baby boomers who are say Christian baby boomers that, um, I think identify differently than I would identify myself. So for instance, I didn't go to church uh, until I was 23, 24 years old. So, you know, I watched, you know, Ed Sullivan and Walt Disney and Bonanza on Sunday nights because I wasn't at church. Um, you know, I, I, I learned to play the guitar at the age of 15, played in a rock and roll band, did all that mm. kind of stuff that rock and roll people do. So what's interesting <laughs> about that is my cultural framework, even before I became a Christian, was, was quite secular um, and it was like, you know, rock music, the Beatles, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I came into this sort of Christian culture back then, you know, people wore suits and the ladies wore hats in church. They sang hymns. And so suddenly there was this merging of that for me. And of course there was the, the, the Jesus freak movement in the 1970s, the hippie hippies were becoming Christians, you know as well and we're kind of changing the way we did church and so contemporize the music and, and that sort of thing so even today when i'm talking to a baby boomer who was raised in christian culture i find that we look at things really differently i find that my worldview, the way i was raised and the way i just the way i look at things politically and socially are often quite distinct from the way other boomers look at it who were raised in the Christian context. Mm -hmm. And so like, I I don't find myself as ideologically, ideologically identifying for instance with maybe a particular political party um, and with the issues that those people are supposed to identify with. Um, in terms of moral and ethical issues, I would say I would consider myself to be more nuanced in how I look at things. Um, I don't personally see things as black and white as a lot of baby boomers would look at them as just very, very black and white. Uh, because I think the Bible itself isn't black and white. Jesus wasn't black and white. Paul was very nuanced as Romans 14 tells us. So in terms of, so for me, I'm a baby boomer, I'm a Canadian and yet, I, I don't like being pigeonholed. <laughs> yeah. All right. What about you, Sumal? How do you identify? Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, Brian, you talked about music and um, age, like generational category and uh, religious identification and, you know, different pieces like that. And so when it comes to, so the question of like, what culture do I most identify with? I think it's a, it's a little bit complicated because I, I feel like I have a complicated relationship with culture and I do resonate with what you said as well about not not liking to be pigeonholed because yeah. I, I would probably sort of be the same way. So, I mean, I think if we were to, I, I think I'd like to maybe start by a, a defining maybe what culture is because it can be such a big term that means like can, can be such a catch-all term, right? And so one of the definitions that I like to roll with is a more sort of sociological definition uh, as, you know, culture being sort of a primary way of making meaning, of meaning making. So it involves a whole bunch of different pieces, right? Like languages, customs, norms, beliefs, rules, arts, knowledge, mm. collective identities, uh, and also memories developed by members of all social groups, right? So, mm. uh, and someone who I hope we'll be talking more about later this after, this evening, this session, uh, Richard Niebuhr, uh, who wrote, uh, he's a theologian who wrote uh, sort of the seminal work, Christ and Culture. Yep. He actually refers to culture also as, uh, he uses the term artificial secondary environment, which we superimpose on the natural environment uh, as a way of meaning making. So sort of taking that definition, I think for me, and I, I mean, I don't mean to sound, this This might come across as being like maybe pious in like a really stupid way. I'm, I'm sorry. So I don't, I don't, like, I don't mean to sound like, so, you know, having said that, uh, honestly, I find like to, completely honestly like the the culture that i find so the, the, that i most kind of connect with is you know people who who take jesus seriously i guess um and so unnecessarily i wouldn't call it christian culture because that can mean a whole bunch of other things as well yes yeah, yeah. um but it, it, i i sort of have a complicated i have a complicated relationship with my own sort of ethnic culture because i you know i grew up in sri lanka uh but i grew up you know as sort of like there is sort of a minority piece to where I grew up as well. Yes, I grew up amongst people who have similar skin color as me and speak the same language as I did. But I was a Christian growing up in a country that was a majority Buddhist country. Um, and so, I mean, that's already sort of a minority culture to begin with. But I was also part mm. of a very specific Christian group. Like it was a hardcore charismatic Pentecostal group, mm. a fundamentalist Pentecostal group. And so that was its whole other you know, cultural piece there. And I felt like I never actually fully fit in with like any of these um, places that I kind of uh, was supposed to identify as like, you know, cultural. Uh, and then when I moved to, you know, Abu Dhabi, I lived in the Middle East, as you know, I mentioned this before. Um, again, like, you know, there were pieces where I was a minority, but I, I found the place that I felt most connected to were with, with people who, who took Jesus seriously. Um, and so that was, you know, not necessarily in church per se, but, you know, in youth group setting as well. And uh, Youth for Christ, uh, like YFC program that I was part of as well. Yeah. Uh, and when I moved to Canada, when I was, you know, in Vancouver doing my undergraduate at UBC, uh, the place that I felt most at home and connected to was the Christian campus group that I was part of, University Christian Ministries. Uh, and it's funny because one of my friends once tagged this picture on Facebook of a, of a of a egg, you know those like egg trays in 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 the fridge. Yeah, and it was like all white eggs, and there was one brown egg. And he tagged the, <laughs> he, he tagged the brown egg was like Shramal. Oh, Shramal, wow. in, Shramal in UCM because 
because when I when I started attending University of Christian Ministries, it was it was it was a it was a very white you know it was majority like you know people had like sort of you know white white skin colored, uh, and so I definitely stood out in terms of skin color, but I never felt like that was like you know a thing that made me different yeah. or anything like that. I just I just felt most at home there, uh, and great. so yeah, all that all that to say yes. Yeah, so, so I mean I you know there are certain you know, there's types of music that I gravitate towards and types of arts and literature and, and things like right. that. But uh, yeah, the strongest identification would be with, with that piece. And I'm sorry if that comes across as being hyper pious. No, I, I don't want to. I, I, I ask you guys like a, a simple, just like light question. And then Brian quotes the Bible and, and small defines, <laughs> defines my question. Yeah. Well, by the way, I did, I did want to say though, and I wish I would have said what Shamal said, because I thought when you, I thought when you said, I I like being around people, or I identify with people who take Jesus seriously. I I like that because just because we use His name, like Jesus said, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say?" That's Luke six forty six. Well, yeah, like I could I can use His name, but I can use it in vain if I don't take Him seriously. And I think a lot of that means is what kind of a a person was he we're to be conformed to his likeness and i want to be a part of a culture that is calling people to be conformed to his likeness and taking discipleship seriously so when you said that i thought yep that's that's but, but don't you think every christian believes that they are legitimately trying to do that uh okay let's just jump in i don't think all of them would say they are Mm -hmm. I think I, cause I do meet a lot of people who say, I don't think I'm a very good Christian. I've heard people say that. Uh, I've, mm -hmm. people have said, um, I think I'm a really bad Christian. I've had people say things along that line. A lot of people feel like they want to be that there are some, however, who would say they do take Jesus seriously, but a lot of them are people that would, the way they understand Jesus is very different than say the way I would understand Jesus. So I would say you're right in part that, but I don't think every professing Christian would say they take Jesus seriously. I think a lot of people would say, I don't take him very seriously. Yeah. I would add as well that it is like a personal, like it is sort of from my point of view though, as well, mm -hmm. uh, certainly for me. Cause like I, that's why I was, I didn't say that I like Christian culture or church culture or any particular church culture, you know, see it like, you know, Christian missionary Alliance culture or Nazarene culture or anything like that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's more people who I find within different settings. It can be, you know, within a right. church setting, it can be somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but I guess I, I'm saying like people who take, you know, Jesus seriously, like can't, can we run the risk of that being just like people who think like I think, or people who like the same stuff and have the same preferences that I do. Like where, not, not that we're trying to draw a line and say, okay, like these are people who, who take Jesus seriously and these aren't, but like, what does that actually look like? Well, you know, for me, I don't think for me, I, so if I say I, I can respect people and I can respect their faith if they take Jesus seriously, I think if somebody disagrees with me fundamentally on certain ethical issues, on, and, and, okay, I can tell you right now, I'm thinking of someone in our church right now, right now, that we have serious theological differences but I have a really high regard for this person hmm. because of the kind of person uh, he, she is. 
And so, and I actually said it out loud. I said, you know what? We have very different theological views, but I have a real admiration for this person because this person puts his, her money where his, her mouth is, you know? Um, and so even though there's differences, I see this person is taking Jesus very, very seriously as this person understands Jesus, even though some of that's different than the way I would understand Jesus, if that makes sense. So I don't think it just means agreement. But then there's some people that go way too far where like, okay, like QAnon supporters and, you know, that sort of thing, people who are conspiracy theorists. That, so there's a line that I think is crossed where I'm going, okay, we're not just disagreeing on points of theology or ethics, but you've crossed, there's a point where people I think cross a line and I, I find that hard to relate to, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, just going back to the question, like, what culture do you most fit in with? I think it probably is, it's sort of like a bit of an obvious thing to say that you feel that you most connect with people who you <laughs> agree with, because that, that is just, that's how, that's how we roll. Yeah. And so, I mean, th th that, is, that is the answer, that there has to be some level of um, same, like, similar orientation, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't mean that we agree on every single thing. But there has to be some sort of level of resonance at some level in order to feel at home with with a group or with you know a sub sub subgroup or something so, like that, right? So, yeah. So how do you think that plays out in how Christians interact with the larger culture around them? Because we feel most comfortable with other Christians who think like us. What 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 are the consequences of that, or advantages disadvantages of that? Well, I mean, I think going back to sort of like that idea of like, you know, we associate, we feel most closely, we feel most uh, at home with people who there's some level of similarity with, whatever that might be. Uh, I think it doesn't really matter whether you're a Christian or what, what faith background you come from. Um, everybody mm -hmm. has that group that they feel most at home with, right? So if, if you're, and that's where it sort of comes to identity, right? So if your primary identifying marker is your race, your ethnicity, or your gender, or your sexuality, or the type of music you listen to, or, uh, I know, what kind of spice you like in your food, uh, then, you know, that's going to be sort of where your um, primary sort of, you feel most at home at. Uh, and I think that's just, that's a natural part of being human. And that's how just, that's just how it is. Common ground. But at this Common ground. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, uh, just because you feel at home, the most at home with something, which is part of the human experience. Uh, I don't think that that precludes relational formation across, you know, interest groups. Um, and I mean, and we see that happen all the time, right? Like, I mean, so it depends how, so, sort of how strongly you hold on to that identity and what that identity is as well, right? Because uh, when I say I take Jesus seriously, I mean, like, I'm, I take his, like I, I take what he said and what he did seriously as well, right? And so a part of that saying and doing was that outward orientation and um, uh, being uh, sort of that sort of intentional missional focus of like, I, I'm going to be like it's not like an insularity of like looking in, inward and sort of forming building a wall around my tribe and then protecting that tribe at all costs like that wasn't how jesus mm. operated uh 
and he was always on the move, right? I mean, just to take an example, right? he, was, he was constantly on the move and like out and about. Uh, and, uh, and that's just in, in sort of captures in, 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 in one sense, how he was constantly about his father's business in that he was like, he was going to people, he was, he was always looking out. Uh, and and then and that, that, that was part of what he invited his followers to do as well, right? You know, come follow me. And right. they went around hanging out, visiting yep. and engaging with people. And so it's, it's at that outward orientation. It's the other orientation. It's, a, it's the inviting others to, to sort of accompany mm-hmm. him on, 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 you know, journeys of discipleship and so on. For me, I mean, for me, I mean, I so I guess that's what I that what I mean when I say, you know, taking Jesus seriously, taking like you know as many parts, like as as I'm aware of, as I have a sort of a clear, decent understanding of what he did, what he was about, and who he was, uh, includes that you know, uh, hospitality and 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 inviting mm-hmm. inness of others. Right. So, so in that sense, I I don't um, I think actually taking Jesus seriously me. In my, I mean, my understanding of Jesus and, and what he did, right. it means that taking him seriously means that you actually are constantly uh, crossing lines and constantly inviting other people in, and constantly trying to figure out ways to to um, to engage and connect with with uh, folks across different divides, whatever those divides might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that you know, I just wrote this down what you said, remember when Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter nine, when he's hanging out with uh, Matthew and then he's criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and, you know, sinners. And then he said, I came, you know, who needs the physician, the sick or the healthy I've come for those who are sick. Um, And then in John chapter 10, he talks about these other sheep, you know, other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And, uh, and there he's talking about the Gentiles. And, and that goes back to a passage, I think, is it in Ezekiel or Jeremiah, where he, you know, uh, makes reference to, to having others, you know, beyond the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was always looking out uh, when he told, uh, is it in Mark, where he said, uh, we need to leave here. And because Capernaum or wherever he was, he said, there are other villages and, and territories that I want to go into. And he didn't travel as far as Paul but he was always going out. And I agree. I, I find uh, that that event, if I can call it the evangelistic impulse, <laughs> the idea of um, there's a world of need out there and we need to continually like always being incarnational, you know, and, um, and that word hospitality, as you guys know, it means kindness to strangers you know, so the Good Samaritan story that Jesus told in Luke, you know, uh, here is this, you know, Samaritan takes care of a Jew and knowing that the Jewish people despise the Samaritans and yet he took care of his needs, right? There, the culture didn't matter at that point. There's a human being in need. That's all that matters. Uh, the story of Jesus and healing the Syrophoenician woman's daughter you know, and he makes the reference to dogs, you know, they, was it, they uh, eat the crumbs under the table or whatever, but he was sort of testing her, but then he does the miracle and he, he, he heals her daughter. And so like all these cultural barriers are being broken down. The mm-hmm. apostle Paul is constantly breaking down 
cultural barriers. Galatians 3.28, Paul says there's in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So you just see this constant breaking down of the cultural barriers with Jesus and Paul. And so I love that. I, and I think when I'm around people, when I'm around Christians who understand that, um, that feels really good. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. apart from other doctrinal issues, that feels really, really good. I, I don't, just a second, I don't think you answered that question, Ryan. What, what culture do you most? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's an interesting one. I, I, I think... Like I, I grew up here basically in, in Canada, um, but I grew up in a very small, small town where I was the only Asian kid in my school. So that, so I'm a bit confused because I was always, um, uh, I, I wanted to be white, uh, but, but I wasn't and we did weird things, but, and then I went to, like, I, I was okay with, like, I, I figured out, you know, who I was, and, but I went to university and it was really interesting because I went to UBC and suddenly I was like the majority because I was a Canadian born Chinese kid. Um, and that, that actually felt really good. Like I, yeah. I, I actually could relate to a lot of people that like, and I, I, I like growing up, I, I had trouble, you know, developing deep relationships with people. And I think that was, that was a part of that in that I, there were certain experiences that just people couldn't re relate to. Um, so, yeah. So, so I think culturally is a big one for me. Um, and yeah, even the whole, yeah, I, like I, I wouldn't really, I, I'm, I'm not really um, very Chinese and I can't even speak Chinese, but that, that does um, just the fact that I look Chinese and I have, you know, Chinese heritage is, it makes a big part. Um, and in terms of Christian culture too, like I think, like I'm, I'm very different than Brian in that I was seeped in the, um, in Christianity, like since I was born, both my parents were, were mm -hmm. Christians. And, um, so that, so I do, I do feel very comfortable in the Christian circles. And when we are talking about, you know, reaching out, like I do understand, like it is, it is difficult for me to, um, because like, I, I find like these people get me like when I'm, at church or, you know, with, especially with like smaller saying people that, that kind of take things seriously, take their faith seriously. Um, you know, like I feel they understand my motives. I, I understand their motives, you know, you know, where everyone's coming from and we're all trying to do the same thing. Um, but it, it's harder. I, I feel like, like there isn't that level of automatic trust that I can build with uh, people yeah, outside. Right. Uh, right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I mean, honestly, I think that's okay. As I think most, I think most people who sort of fit identify with any sort of group would probably have that sense. And as long as you're aware of it, and I think intentional about, about sort of being more, uh, you know, other like trying to invite and, and put yourself out there. Um, that's, I think, I know that's my sense of like, you know, mm -hmm. that that's fine. Because I mean, I I totally resonate as well with with the confusion. Because like, I don't have this like weird situation. Like, it's like it's almost like a weird anxiety whenever I I encounter um, like another brown person, or like particularly if they're like another Sri Lankan, uh, that that they will I like it's this constant like nagging feeling that I that I'm not Sri Lankan enough. Mm. 
which is weird because I mean, I grew up in Sri Lanka, but then I, I left and now, I mean, I still speak uh, our native language, for example, Sinhalese, it's called, but I have a weird accent now because I, you know, I don't really, um, I don't really have people to really speak with me on a regular basis. And so what I do, and so, so I, I have this like all these like weird, just like odd feelings that kind of come along even when I, so, cause people have this like, you sort of make these assumptions, right? Like when you run into somebody who's, I find when I run into somebody with a similar skin color, there are all these assumptions that are sort of yeah. taken for granted yeah. of like a certain level of commonality. Um, and I find that that's not always often the case for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and then there's just awkwardness because mm-hmm. those expectations aren't really, aren't yeah. really met at some yeah. level. And so, right. Um, so nope. yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of just get, but that's what we were talking about at the beginning of this, because being pigeonholed, you know, so somebody takes a mm. look at you or they go, you're a certain demographic, uh, you have a certain skin color, you come from a certain culture, country or whatever. Therefore, you know, therefore, you know, there's all kinds of assumptions that are made. Right. And, uh, yeah, we're probably all guilty of that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Time again to practice some spiritual disciplines. We've done a couple of these and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Is it helpful at all? A waste of time? Are you just skipping past this section? I know for myself, I don't want to take time to be still or silent enough during my week, so I hope you'll join me in this. If you don't want to take part or want to find another time to do this, feel free to skip forward three minutes to get back to the conversation. This is an exercise that I learned from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, and it's a great one to start my day. Ready? Okay, if you can, start by placing your palms down. This symbolizes you turning over any concerns or anxiety you may have to God. As you do this, collect all your anxious thoughts and release them to God. Try to be as specific as possible. For example, I surrender my stress over a difficult conversation I will need to have with my sister today. I'll give you a minute to do this. Now, turn your palms up and think about what you may need from God in order to face these fears and anxieties. For example, Lord, I would like to receive your divine peace and help me to love my sister and see her the way you do. I'll give you a minute to do that.
If you need more time, feel free to hit pause and linger as long as you want in communion with God. When you're done, join me in this prayer. Lord, I bring the poverty of my soul to be transformed by your beauty, the wildness of my passions to be tamed by your love, the stubbornness of my will to be conformed by your commandments, and the yearnings of my heart to be renewed by your grace, both now and forevermore. Amen. You're saying that we we need to be actively kind of breaking down those barriers and reaching out, you know, past our our Christian circles. Are we supposed to take an active role in changing culture itself, the wider culture? Well, I have a response, but I'll I'll let Shamal go first because <laughs> I'm sure he has an answer right on his lips. Well, apparently you do. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I could jump in, but Shamal, go ahead, you go first. You go first. Oh, already? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd say yes and no. And then, no, I'd say yes, but depends. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to try and like make sense of that a little bit here. Okay. Because so going back to sort of that, the definition of what culture is, uh, you know, someone once used the metaphor of like culture is like water for the fish. It's like the medium that you swim in. Uh, and so we, we live it, we breathe it. And yes, there are things that we intentionally or consciously identify as being culture, like language and food and music and things like that we've talked about, uh, ethnicity, race, and so on. But there's a whole bunch of other things that kind of go along with that as well, that, that are also part of culture, so that we're not necessarily fully aware of. And so, so because of that, like culture is, it is what we, like we are so sort of embedded in culture it's almost like a sort of like a smart, like I think of it as like a smart mirror as well, right? Like it's, it reflects us back to us, but it also uh, it also changes uh, because there's a whole bunch of other people as well. And so like, it's almost like a whole the crazy mirrors that but with multiple people in it, where there's like things, reflections coming and bouncing off each other. And then the reflections kind of morph, they, they mold into each other. And then the mirror sort of changes as well. And then you sort of change with the mirror and then the mirror changes again in response. And so there's a the constant dynamic flux in terms of culture. And so in that sense, I think culture is, is, is always changing actually. Um, and we don't necessarily identify some of those changes, but like even some of the even some of those sort of identifiers of culture that we've talked about, like like music and language, are constantly constantly changing, right? Mm, right. Uh, like like the music that's considered, just to take like a kind of a banal example, right? Like um, let's take language for example, right? Like like language just changes every year. There's like new words that come in. Yeah. Uh, like the phrase lit. Uh, was you know big a couple of years ago uh, I, but that meant something very different uh, than when I was in high school lit yeah. meant short for literature <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but like now it's just like a verb or adjective or whatever right and, and that's just like a silly example but the thing is like you know so the point is that conscious constantly flux and so as whatever we, you know as Christians I think it's important to just, I think, make that this distinction first of all is that there is constant change going on um, and then uh, I'm gonna jump to 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 Richard Niebuhr, who I mentioned before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, because he he sort of has like this framework that he creates of like uh, three different um, st- pieces in this framework of like three different ways that uh, Christians through through the ages have have interacted with 
uh, with culture. And he, so his sort of three pieces and the, and the last one has like three subsections in it. So the first one is the Christ, uh, this idea of Christ against culture. And there's a sense of like opposition that culture is, 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 is in necessity in, uh, by definition, constantly opposed to, to, to Jesus. Uh, and that's sort of, um, and you see that, uh, you see that kind of unfolding in society through sort of these groups that might kind of completely reject culture and society. So you have like the Essenes uh, during Jesus's time who, who sort of like, you know, lived in the desert and were like, you know, culture is mm-hmm. evil. We need to run to the hills type yep. of thing. And there's always been those run to the hills movements. Yes. History. <laughs> I, you know, yep. more recently, I mean, I think of like the Amish and, yep. you know, maybe some subgroups of Mennonites and so on. Yeah. Hutterites. Hutterites. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and then, so that's the first. And then there's like the second group, which is a Christ of culture, which is that there's sort of complete agreement and synthesis between Christ and cult, between Jesus and, and sort of the wider culture. And so you sort of see that in like this idea of like cultural Christianity, uh, which I see, which I've seen a lot of in like the States mm. in particular, yes. uh, parts of the States. And that's eroding now, but uh, it, it still is very strong in certain parts. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, that, that's one example, but actually in some ways, I, I don't want to talk too much about this right now. But I'm going to sort of just throw this in there and like put like a book, like put like a marker here. And maybe we'll come back to it later, which is, I think, in some ways, uh, the church, uh, evangelical churches in particularly North America have not intentionally, maybe, but almost unintentionally. We've sort of been in the, we've sort of been in that uh, space a lot where there's almost like this like deep cultural capture of evangelical churches mm. um, in that we. We, we sort of use some of the forms of saying, no, we're not actually, we're completely opposed to culture. And we're creating this thing called Christian culture. But what we're actually yep. doing is just kind of taking the same trappings and forms of like the wider cultural pieces, and then just sort of tagging on like maybe pious language onto it, or like, yep. uh, you know, branding it with with, with a cross and, and a yep. fish or whatever. Christian nationalism, right? I mean, you see that with Christian nationalism, but yeah. I mean, you also sort of see it in sort of this wider uh christian you know, movies church, and yeah, yeah christian movies and, and 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 things like that but you also sort of see like you know certain types of uh, denominations that uh, there's sort of a, almost like a really uncritical liberalism that they just sort of are completely aligned with like uh you know the the capital l like liberal political movements and so on mm-hmm. and then you see it on the other end where you also have churches that are completely aligned with like the big c conservative movements right uh and uh and so they're co-opted by like partisan political interests. And, but I think overall as well, there's just that there's such a huge aura of consumerism that is so deeply ingrained in, 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 in sort of the evangelical churches that I have been <laughs> in the culture, which I think is actually a form of cultural capture there, which we're not even aware of necessarily intentionally. But that, I mean, that is almost like a Christ of culture where we have like uh, insidiously sort of allowed that piece to kind of creep into understanding of, of church and, 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 and Christianity. So, okay, so that's that's the second piece. And then the third the third um, f- strand of, of like Nia Burr's framework is the Christ above culture, which uh, has then three substrands in it, which sort of uh, to, to different levels kind of s- combine the first two pieces of Christ against versus, you know, Christ of. So there's like the first strand, it's called it 3A, uh, which is like Christ is the fulfillment of culture. Uh, so, you know, all, all, all sort of culture kind of uh, 
and that sort of tends to be sort of a more of the of the second piece, which is the Christ of culture, where you sort of see uh, Christ being co-opted and fitted into different various uh, mm-hmm. kind of frameworks. Uh, but there is there is a bit of a push and pull there. And then the second substrand is like this dualistic Christian tension with culture, which is that Christ exists in tension with culture. So there's a there's a constant back and forth. But but there isn't ever ever like a like a like a sense of uh, equilibrium that constantly is like back and forth mm-hmm. that's in in like dynamic flux throughout and then the third piece is the Christ as a converter of culture right. which is that Christ transforms and, and changes culture right. from within right. uh, and so to to be completely transparent I tend to be I tend to resonate a lot more with that final mm-hmm. with that final um piece there Me too. which is the christ of the okay so i guess we don't have to talk anymore about this <laughs> which is but but christ is a converter of culture and um and so you know that um moving on to your question of are we called to change culture or should we be changing culture uh that's why i said yes but depends and so yes but we need I, I think as 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 faithful followers of Jesus, as far as the disciples of Jesus, we need to sort of approach it through that framework of like Christ transforming culture. So it's not Christ fighting culture. So I think this whole right. idea of culture wars is mm-hmm. it's quite antithetical to, to, right. That's to right. the way Jesus lived. Right. Uh, but not just Jesus, but just like the way um like like God's call to like you see this kind of throughout uh scriptures as well, where there is there is like there are certain elements of uh, modeling what it meant to be the people of God that that Israel had to do. Um, but there was also like you know I, I read through Deuteronomy and like the Deuteronomy and First and Second Chronicles recently, uh, and so you see all of these like laws and mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah yeah like laws built out. But it was really interesting reading it alongside sort of historical commentary. Which kept commenting like this, uh, like a couple of history, histor- historical his- historical theologians, were kind of commenting on the fact that a lot of these, like a lot of the things that you see in like the laws, were were actually reflections of a lot of the other sort of ancient codes in other cultures, like the code of Hammurabi from Babylon, right. you know, Egyptian right. codes of conduct. But there was always, in many ways, there was some slight tweaks that sort of added on this like extra touch onto them that made them in as a whole fairly radical in their like extreme almost like humanism in many ways like of like loving of human beings and what coming in so like for example just one example is like the uh, the laws around like um how you treat aliens and immigrants and and foreigners to, to the yeah. country like a lot orphans, of these other codes, widows. orphans yeah. and widows like had yeah. those codes around like treating them well but in in sort of the, the Jewish codes, there were these other pieces around like the Jubilee and uh, codes around like Sabbath laws, which extended to foreigners and 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 and, and the aliens and outsiders and immigrants too, which was almost never the case in some of these other codes. In that the rights that you have that you should be enacting in terms of rest, allowing uh, allowing rest and you know returning of debt uh, and forgiving for forgiveness of debts and all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually need to extend to these people who are not necessarily part of your culture as well. Yeah. And so, it, it, so in all of that to say, going back to this idea of like, culture, you know, changing culture, uh, yes, change culture and, uh, but do it a certain way. And I actually like this, 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 this quote, I'm going to, I'm going to read this quote by 
he's a Christian artist, Makoto Fujimura, who, who, who's, um, he's an artist, but he also does some really fantastic writing around the intersection of art and theology. Uh, and this, this one quote that I really like is, he says, you know, culture is not a territory to be won or lost, um, uh, but a resource we are called to steward with care. Mm. Uh, culture is a garden to be cultivated. Mm. Uh, and, he, and then he goes on to make this case that, you know, we're called to this idea of culture care, which is about nurturing the good, true and beautiful into the soil of culture. And I really like the metaphor, like the, like the gardening metaphor, right? Because it, I, I mean, too. first of all, like it, like it, it resonates with a lot of what's in the Bible, which tends to use a lot of like agrarian metaphors. So there, there is connection there. Uh, but, but I mean, it, it is is very much in keeping with our creation mandate in Genesis one, right? To be wise stewards of God's resources, in partnership with Him, and it's in keeping with Jesus's call to, uh, to, to to love God and neighbor love, and it's also like really and like super like entirely aligned with the church's this idea of the church's hope shaped uh, hope shaped mission um uh, where we're called to model and invite into an entirely new way of being and relating to the world and each other uh and we can do that because jesus is now king of the world right uh, and so um yeah it's uh, I, I like that and 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 as if you've done any gardening you know that there, there's elements that we have control over. Like we know there's certain things we need to do. We need to take care of the soil and there's better and worse ways of doing it. We can be very aggressive and we can use, we can t- dump tons of like, you know, a fertilizer and maybe use miracle grow, uh, which, you know, will help you grow things really fast. But you also add a lot of nitrogen that then leaches out into the environment and has like uh, negative impacts in the, in the longer term, right? Right. Uh, and and so there's there's almost like this sense of partnership with 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 God when you uh, with God when you when you're gardening in in that, you know, you, you do certain things, but then you trust that there's this, this mysterious things that happen that we don't actually know, and then you know things just start growing, uh, and sometimes sometimes things just start dying. <laughs> yeah, hail hailstorms in, in yeah, July. And yeah, exactly. Like things that are completely out of control, especially in in Calgary, right? Like gardening is an act of faith in Calgary. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Uh, is, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's like a that's such a beautiful metaphor in many ways that I think we can spend a lot of time unpacking uh, around like what it means to 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 be changing culture as Christians. And I'm going to stop wow. talking now. Well, and that's what missionaries have to do, right? So you know when they were sending missionaries from Britain you know, to, to India or to Africa, or whatever, you know, you're always trying to separate, you know, what's gospel and what's culture. And uh, do you, do you go in there with the intent of changing their culture? And uh, mm-hmm. so if, and, you know, it's interesting that I, you know, that we'll say, well, you know, if you're going to go to church, you need to wear a suit and a dress, but what if that wasn't part of their culture, you know, and if you make them dress the way we dress, is that, you know, but anyway, Kind of interesting um, what you said about uh, Niebuhr, uh, Christ the culture, about him converting. I had always heard as Christ transforming culture, and you use that term as well. And um, my answer to that question is, should we try to change culture? I, I feel that I'm, I'm asking myself, did Jesus go around with his disciples trying to change the culture. You know, and I don't know that I have an, a yes answer to that. I don't even know, think Paul was really trying to change the culture. For instance, slavery. He didn't do what William Wilberforce did through Parliament. 
in England as a parliamentarian and, and, and abolish the slave trade, right? right? So he wasn't doing that. But what he said is slaves obey your masters in the Lord, you know, and, and, and you know, put in a good day's work, not just when their eyes upon you, but do it for the Lord's sake. And then he said, masters, be good to your slaves, right? So it's interesting, in a sense, you know, it's like, this is the garden that you're in, okay? But you've, this is how you need to behave in order to cultivate, uh, be cultivated within that garden, I guess. Like he's saying, if you're a slave, don't seek to be freed from your slavery. Because Paul never suggested that. Uh, he sends Onesima back to Philemon, right? And, but he says to Philemon, you know, treat him as a brother. But it's interesting. He wasn't trying to change the culture around slavery. And he didn't really have the means to do it, I would say. Um, you know, so I, and I look at Jesus in, in, in a very similar way but he wanted to bring change. I know this sounds really trite to say it, but you know, one person at a time, one relationship at a time. Um, in a sense, I feel like, um, you know, for me, it's not as much about changing culture as being Christian in the culture that we find ourselves in. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 Verses four to seven, you know, and this is where, you know, they're in, they're in Babylon and he says, marry and have children and build houses and just live amongst the people, uh, all that. And then he said this, seek, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you off into exile, because if they prosper, you will prosper. So he wasn't, there was nothing in there about to the Jewish people about trying to change Babylonian culture, as far as I can see. Daniel is carried off as an exile. He doesn't want to eat the king's food, right? And so eventually he's permitted to not have to do that. But when he's called to bow down to this idol, like in Daniel chapter six, he says, no. So Darius is feeling really bad because he likes Daniel. Now he feels bound by his own decree and he's got to throw him to the lion's den. And Daniel survives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in Daniel chapter three, they won't bow. They won't bow down. Oh yeah, no. With Daniel, it was about praying to. Um, yeah, he was supposed to pray to Darius, the king, and he said he would only pray to God. And they caught him praying to someone other than the king. And but for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said we won't bow down to this image. They're thrown into the fiery furnace and they're rescued. But they said even if we're not rescued, even if we're not delivered. We're not going to bow down. So I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking is, um, and Shawan, I want you to push back on this because my feeling is that I am called to be salt and light. Um, and I am called to be true and to be faithful to my covenant, you know, with the Lord. Um, and if I see injustice, then I should do something about that injustice. I need to do that. So for instance, I think a lot of pro-life, you know, us, and I'm pro-life, but pro-life is an issue where we say there's an injustice towards the unborn. There's a different approach to say gay marriage. Because you're saying to gay, with gay marriage, you can say, well, 
you could argue that no one's being victimized in that relationship. They're mute. They're consenting. They're mutually consenting to have that kind of relationship, but they're consenting. Whereas in abortion, that fetus, that unborn child, I should say, is not consenting to be aborted. And so that's a different moral issue. One where someone is helpless and is being victimized and uh, so Christians rise up there and say they, they, we want to change the culture when it comes to that sort of thing. If if if, if there's a racial, if there's if there is genocide, we want to step we, there. We got to change the culture. If there's unjust laws towards a particular people group, we need to change the culture. But other than that, live and let live, unless there's an injustice. Um, even if it's something that we find morally repugnant, we can still say live and let live, and we will try to persuade them one person at a time, but not try to change it. We'll pray for the peace and prosperity of the culture. I will be like Daniel. I'll be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll be like Joseph in the book of Genesis in, in Pharaoh's Egypt. I'm going to hold to my faith, and if God exalts me, then great. But, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, and I think I may push back a little bit here. Yeah, because um, I think do. what I actually hear you saying when you say when you talk about you know change, you know Jesus doing this sort of you know one person at a time, uh, and you sort of you know doing that as well. And you talked about being salt and light uh, to those around you. I mean, salt when you add salt, like it, it changes the flavor of the food, right? And light changes the illumination. Like you, you see things more clearly, or you see things in a different way, and so on. I mean, there's inherently change built into that, mm-hmm. but is the, it is the nature of the change though that, that that I think is might be something that needs to be clarified a little bit more. In in that, like you know, when when you are being salt, like you are changing the flavor of something, so change is happening. And so in that sense, like the you are actually like I think you are actually talking about like changing culture. It's just that the nature of the change is not this forceful. Um, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like a forceful hammering in or wrenching or like, like, a, like a violent forcing in. Uh, it's by it. persuasion. It's almost, it is, it is a gently, exactly. And that's where I think like the cultivation uh, metaphor I really like in the gardening piece, because yep. there is, there is sort of like a working width and there's almost like a, I'm going to use the term maybe like incrementalism. Like it's not a, like a radical revolution in that, like, I'm going to change everything overnight, just like bang, everything just like, you know, goes from like, uh, you know, front to back and upside down, just like that. Uh, like the change happens gradually, but you are inaugurating some of that and you're pushing into things gently. And I mean, you, you gave even some of the examples that you gave, Brian, about the way Jesus kind of went about things in terms of interacting with uh, people who are considered outsiders, like Sumerians, uh, people, you know, people from Samaria and the Syrophoenician woman and so on. Like that was, like that was pushing against some of his cultural mores, right? Like he was saying, uh, maybe you made an idol out of this, uh, and and I'm 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 pushing on this, uh, but I'm not. I'm, he wasn't like declaring, you know, this is something you all have to start doing immediately. Uh, right. He was. I mean, he was he was modeling it, and then you know, just kind of leaving it there. Uh, and and we see this with 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 Onesimus, with 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 Paul and and, and yeah. Onesimus too, in that he said, yes, you know, go back. And he wasn't saying I'm doing away with the institution of slavery. Right. But he did say. But there's always this but, right? That kind yeah. of kind of yeah. comes yeah. with it, which is you know, but treat him as a brother. Right. Uh, he, you know, he says, you know, treat him as a brother, which is, you know, now that is different. 
Okay, so but so in a sense though, but he wasn't trying to change the culture in, in terms of the larger culture, say of of, of um, the Greco-Roman Empire or whatever, or the institution of slavery in the world. That he wasn't trying to change, but he was trying to change the culture of the church. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, like, as Onesimus, uh, the Philemon, the slave owner, was a part of the church, and he was in the position of power over Onesimus. So he was trying to change not only Philemon, but he would probably have wanted to change the attitude of all Christians to say, treat one another equally. I, right? So I, mean, I guess when we talk about what culture are we talking about, are we talking about the church okay. culture or the, the, the culture in which the church is embedded or... Okay. I don't know. I see. Like, I see what you're saying. Okay. I know. I, 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 okay. I see what you're saying. So, um, so, so what you're saying then is, uh, is sort of beginning with the people who identify as, as Christian, who are like part that's of, what like, I'm saying, yeah. sort, sort of the wider, but it yeah. begins beginning with that. But I think, you know, eventually like there is change of the culture in the sense that, you know, as, as Christians, like that, the whole act of, you know, evangelism and inviting people into, into to into walk up discipleship and all those things eventually is that the cultural change still does happen but it it sort of begins within the church and i i, I mean I, I i think i do resonate uh to a large extent with what you said there yeah. in that a lot of jesus's focus was on sort of uh pushing back against his peoples like the sort of the, that tribe like the jewish tribes right i, I think he was trying doing. to change them i yeah, think he, he was, was yes yes like he began yeah. with them and yep. a lot of what we see with uh, with the the way that the apostles kind of lived out as well was like they weren't necessarily trying to go around change changing institutions outside in, in sort of the wider society but sort of modeling a different way of being within the church and then yes. the church by inviting people to yes. participate in that life uh, that does ultimately sort of lead towards renewal and institution because people as like we sort of all sort of have our vocational calling yeah. and that is not something that we're supposed to be leaving like we continue right. doing that yeah. uh but the the sort of the yeah i guess the change begins within the, the i guess the the boundaries of the church i love what you said when you said we're modeling like we're supposed to be modeling i mean it says i don't know if i'm saying this right small but we're modeling what a god culture would look like we're modeling, we're supposed, like, I've been preaching on the core values. So to me, if we, if we do that, there's a sense in which we're modeling what God's kingdom values should look like. We pray first, we pursue peace with one another, you know, we do discipleship, we, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that we do. Uh, we, we, we are servant leaders who put others before ourselves. So we're modeling a certain kind of a culture and a certain kind of discipleship and a certain kind of a leadership. Uh, and if that catches fire in the broader culture and they, you know, then great, but I'm with you. I don't think it's a culture war. I'm with you because it's not by force and it's not by violence. It's through love. And, and I think when you actually do that, because I mean, we see this with, with, the, with, the, with the early church, right? Like in, in Acts uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, or three to seven, like right? you have this, uh, like they are, I mean, they're boldly proclaiming the word of God and they're, you know, they are outward oriented once the, once they're, once the Holy Spirit comes on them, like they, they are, they start to become these, these outward oriented people. Uh, but they're, 
but they're not changing institutions. Like they're going around healing people. Exactly. Uh, and, and and then they're modeling what you said, like the kingdom life. And this is what the kingdom life looks like. Yeah. This is what it means to like live with sort of the hope of what Jesus has has accomplished yeah. because he's now king of the world. Uh, and and we have his power residing within us to, to sort of uh, participate in his kingdom work on an ongoing basis and then inviting people into that. And it's, it was like, I mean, you use the term like catching fire. Uh, and it almost seemed like it was, it was inevitable. Like it was people like just, there, there was no way that people could not be drawn to that just because they were, they were modeling something that was so uh, winsome and so inviting and so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. life-giving so so hopeful yeah. and life-giving right uh and you see people you know i mean it actually says right you know people were uh people held the church in in, in great respect and yeah. in great awe. and in some yeah. places you know it said you know people were afraid to join them because of the jews and so on but they still held them in respect and then in other places you know parts of access says you know people were just joining left right and center because they, they just couldn't and it's them. interesting though because in a sense christianity became like a subculture within the larger culture like roman culture but here's what's interesting where it went awry was it 312 or 325 a.d when Mm -hmm. constantine became a christian Mm -hmm. guess what now you had a christian culture how did that go (laughs) that did not go over very well because now suddenly christianity is popular and as soon as christianity becomes popular and there's no longer any sort of sacrifice uh and and there's no longer any stigma uh, and it's just easy. Suddenly, the whole thing devolves into something it was never intended to be, and so that's where my wariness is. You know, about even the 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 way that we're engaging with politics. Like, um, there's a person in our church who's a member who doesn't agree that Christians should be involved in politics whatsoever, and to the point of we should not vote. <laughs> that uh, we shouldn't vote. We should not run for political office. We should not engage politically. We are a separate. So it'd be interesting where that would be probably Christ against culture, maybe perhaps that person. And I don't go there at all, but I feel like we should engage with culture, but I don't think that we should try to um, Christianize culture once we're in elected office. But what we should do is pursue justice for the weak and the marginalized and make, make sure that there is equality, but not go any further than that. And, and I feel like, uh, I think Christians, when they get into elected office, I think they try to use that political muscle to Christianize. And I think, I don't think that's right. And I think it may, gives us a bad name, you know. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, I mean, you're, you're using Christianize in, in a fairly negative way, but... I, you know, I, I'm sure people would say Christianize as in, I want everybody to have, you know, a relationship with Jesus and um, live eternal life. Right. Like, and that's why we're doing this. So what's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah, sure. So what's, I mean, evangelize, but don't, don't use the political force force and the laws of the land to try to make people what we are. That's yeah, all. I mean that's I mean that's that's the, the power piece, right? Like I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit in when we were in our discussion of freedom too, and you just uh, kind of alluded to it as well, Brian, when you mentioned like Constantine and the and the so the Roman Empire kind of co-opting 
Christianity. Because, right. right. um, you know, and that, that's where it went from being this marginal religion where suffering and persecution was almost accepted as, I mean, it was just accepted. Like I mean, Jesus said, Jesus said, like, expect it. Uh, and I mean, we use this term, like, you know, cross-shaped life yep. that people lived, uh, yeah. which to me is just a fancy way of saying, well, you know, Jesus suffered on the cross uh, and he called all of us to be, to be willing and ready to suffer as well uh, for his yep. name exactly. uh, as part of like living out that call of, of discipleship. And so it's not like inviting suffering by, uh, by deliberately being, you know, um, terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. not like, you know, if you went and like, you know, killed a bunch of people and then, you know, you get thrown in jail. It's like, oh, I'm suffering now for the gospel because I, you know, I killed these yeah. people because they were not that are Christians or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> but no, that's but 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 as like living in sort of the in in the act of like living out uh, a life of a disciple, like expect to expect to suffer, uh, and and I think that extends to to even the examples that you gave of like you know being in political office uh, or whatever it is, like whatever vocation that we're called in, like regardless of what we like where we are working and what we're doing like we're called to be we're called to be like living out that that life of discipleship which could very well mean suffering for amen yeah for in terms of like if you're if you're a politician like not being re-elected because you because you actually live up to your principles of mm. uh this is what it means to be living out like my my life of discipleship which uh, might not get you re-elected uh, yeah, I, I feel like the 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 term you know ends justifying the means is is really uh-huh. important, right? Once you start to cross that line, and I mean you see that with a lot of Christian churches and leaders, even where you know there's an, an abuse of power and, yes. and corruption, and, and because they think, okay, I'm doing this ministry, I'm, I'm reaching all these lost souls, so therefore I can mm-hmm. have my own massage parlor chain or whatever, right? So it's yeah. yeah. It, that that's I, th- I feel like to me that's that's where the, the line is what you know once you start doing yeah. things that that aren't actually ethical um to get to a certain place but it's easy to justify that in the name of success for the gospel right um mm-hmm. you know um yeah right which i mean then then comes to a whole idea of of success which then kind of circles around to that idea mm-hmm. of cultural capture right like how how much we've been captured by by uh sort of we right. made jesus of the culture in terms of understanding success as right. being numbers or more money uh like ministries that bring drawing more money or like drawing more people uh must by you know by definition then be successful because well more people are coming to this church well yeah but i mean more people flock to to Hitler and to all these dictators. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and all sorts of like awful um, ideologies can like join people by the droves. Just because he draws in people doesn't mean that it's actually, uh, y- you know, it's not from, G- it's not reflecting Jesus. So um, I-, I think I mean, that's, that's part of the problem too. A quick note, we didn't have enough time to cover everything in this episode. So uh, we're going to split this conversation into two parts and the next episode will be the, the second part of this conversation where we talk about more practical ways uh, to live within the culture as Christians. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time and maybe even learned or were challenged by something. We know there's so much more to cover and acknowledge there are many other great perspectives and questions out there and want to hear from you. Go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast, click on the episode and scroll down to the bottom. 
you can leave a comment or question there or send us an email at mindthegap at firstnaz.ca. We will compile your questions and comments and go through them in a future episode. Now, let's go make Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and passion for people. Thank you.